Great to see everyone this morning. Hope you're enjoying our service. You made it through the rain, the monsoons you got here, so it's great to see a smile on your faces. Uh, We got some things going on just want you to remind you about so you can be praying. One is tomorrow uh, that team leaves uh, to go down to Kentucky, and so please be praying for them. They come back Wednesday night and uh, see what they can do to help out down there. And we also have an incredible gift that, uh, that they're, they're also receiving down there, which turned out to be around $23,000 from our church. And so we're super excited about that. And uh, yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah, good job. And, uh, and then besides that, we're, we're getting ready to figure out how to really try to impact. I mean, when we look at the fall, to us, that's uh, a renewed opportunity to impact our area. And so we want you to be praying with us about that. We got the fair coming this week. I think they're canceling Wednesday night stuff. A lot of people, especially on Wednesday, wear their shirt to kind of represent what's going on there. So things coming up. We're getting ready for school to start, and uh, we're excited about what's happening. And then today, we're starting a new series called Christian Atheist. And Christian Atheist is about people who say they're Christians, but then in some areas of their life, they live like an atheist. A Christian atheist is somebody who says they believe in God, but they don't always believe God. And so we're looking at that and how that impacts different areas of our life. And when life doesn't line up with what God says, when we say we're a Christian, but we're not really doing or behaving the way Christians, that God says Christians should, then that's, that's an issue. And one of the main areas... That, that show up in this way is the area of fear. And so that's what we're talking about today, area of fear. And I know some of you are thinking, ah, not my problem. And some of you are thinking, hey, I could use that. But by polls, uh, they would say that people are uh, mainly top fears are fear of dying, fear of becoming seriously ill, fear of not having enough money for retirement, fear of losing a loved one. I mean, these are all real issues that we might have to face. So the question is, what are you fearful about? What is it? Global warming, your job, never finding a person to share your life with, money, uh, retirement, or not having enough money for retirement, cancer, the test results, storms, fires, recession, scandals, car wrecks. I mean, what is it? Do you fear what people think of you? And think about it this way. What robs you of sleep at night? Do you ever find yourself awake in the middle of the night? Anybody like that? You know, this had been, until a couple of days ago, this had been happening to me for a few days this week. I kept waking up like at four in the morning. Then the next night I woke up at 3.30 in the morning. And the next night I woke up at three in the morning. This was going the wrong direction. I mean, just wasn't good. That ever happened? And then when you're awake, you start thinking about everything, what you got to do, what needs to happen next, what you need to do right away, all that stuff. What robs you of sleep or steals your joy? And, And probably it's closer to home. Issues that affect more of the heart. Uh, losing a spouse or a child or loneliness or a weakening marriage or your kid's future. And, and before you totally write this off and you're sitting there thinking, I, I, don't, I don't really fear any of these things. I mean, it's all in God's hands. I'm good to go. Well, then what keeps you from living by faith? 
or more specifically, the way I'll say that, what keeps you from taking risks for God? What keeps you from doing more for him? Being, is it fear of being uncomfortable? Is that all it is? Losing friends? You see, what we realize is that fear triggers all kinds of responses in us. Uh, it can trigger immobilization or passivity or withdrawal or depression. If it happens suddenly, it can produce panic. But maybe the worst thing that fear does in the life of a Christian is without realizing it, fear produces a distrust in God. Fear is really the result of us not trusting God fully. It's a distrust of God. So I want us to look at a passage in Scripture where we see fear. We not only see fear, we see a couple of different kinds of fear. And that's in Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 36. And as you pull out your devices and kind of tune that in, Mark, 34, Mark 4, 36, let me set the context for you. Jesus has had a super long day of ministry, and now he's in the region of Galilee by the Sea of Galilee. He heads down to the shore. Now, some things have happened. He's been confronted. He's done some controversial things. A lot of people are following him. He gets down on the shore and it gets so bad that people are pressing in that Jesus gets into a boat and has them push out from the shore so he can teach without being all crammed in. And not only that, because it's so crowded on the shore and some people are wanting to see Jesus, they grab whatever other boats are around and they set out a little ways so they can see Jesus from their boat. And so that's the situation. That's what's happening. Everybody's crammed in trying to see what's going on. And when they get done, when he's done with his teaching, the end of a long day, he realizes that to go to shore, there's no place to go. He's completely blocked in by people. And so he tells the disciples, let's just go on over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So that's what they do. And in this story is when a huge storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, which is not all that unusual. One of the unique things about this, what we would call a lake, the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, is it's like 700 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, and the second lowest lake in the world, the only lower lake than that is the Dead Sea, which is also in Israel, but that's salt water. So it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, 700 feet below sea level, and then just 30 miles away, is Mount Hermon that's over 9,000 feet high. And so if you get it, driving from here to Toledo, from the Sea of Galilee to Mount Hermon, is a 10,000 foot difference in just 30 miles. Well, because of that, the warm air from the Sea of Galilee would rise and the cold air would rush in. And that made the Sea of Galilee uniquely susceptible to these thunder squalls that would come up and cause a problem. Of course, with Jesus are some seasoned commercial fishermen. So, you know, they got this. They've done this all their life. But we find out that this storm must have been particularly severe because even they were kind of freaking out. So that's kind of the, what's happening. And so now we're going to pick it up in verse 36 of Mark chapter 4. 
Leaving the crowd, they took him, Jesus, along with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat. That's never a good sign. The waves are breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So they're scared. He gets up. We've probably heard this before about Jesus. He calms the storm. And then he says to them, why are you afraid? Why are you scared? Where's your faith? Do you still have no faith? They've seen Jesus do some stuff and he's rebuking them. He's telling them, hey, come on, people. What's going on? And so what we learn from Scripture is that there are two types of fear. They actually both show up in this story. There are two types of fear. One is beneficial for us, and I'm talking fear. And then one is destructive to us. So one good, one bad. And here's the first one is bad. This is fear of circumstances. That's what's happening in the story that we just read. And so it's natural for us to fear circumstances that are beyond our control. So we live next to Lake Erie. So I'm assuming a lot of you have been on the lake maybe when there were storms. I didn't grow up here, so that's never happened to me. But once, living out west, my family and I, when I was about 10 years old, we went to a, a huge lake in the west that maybe you've never even heard of called Lake Powell. Lake Powell is sort of on the Colorado River before the Grand Canyon. It's 186 miles long, and it's super remote. It's just all canyons, flooded canyons. And, uh, and we were on this, and it was my family, my two brothers, my mom and my dad, our dog, and my grandfather. My grandfather had this boat. It was an old boat. I think it might have been a homemade boat. It was a wooden boat, had a lot of plywood on it. That's what I remember. You could get splinters easy on the boat. And it had a big V8 car engine in it, but it was an old boat. So we, we were in that boat, and we, we were in a super remote location where we couldn't see another boat or person or campsite for miles around. And we are in the middle of nowhere, which is what, what we always did. That's what we like. But we're in the middle of nowhere, and then we had engine problems. And so the engine's not running right, and so my dad and my granddad, and this boat was, there were six of us, and this boat was not really built for six people. And so we're sitting in the boat, and the boat is only this, the side of the boat's only this high over the, over the water when everything's going well. But they're working on the engine. The engine's not running right. We're in the middle of this lake, and uh, about a mile or two from each, each side of the shore. And then a storm came up. And the storm started rocking the boat. 
and we were, my dad and my granddad were trying to get the engine going, and it got bad, and waves started crashing over the edge of the boat, some of them, and we were bailing. We didn't even, us kids, we didn't even have to be told to bail. I mean, we were looking for anything we could to get water out of the boat, and that's happening. And then none of us, we realized this boat could go down, that we're, we may not make it, and so back in the day, you didn't really have to have life. I don't know how it is now, so sorry. I don't know if you have to have life jackets now, but back in those days, you had to have a life jacket or a floating cushion for every person that was in the boat, but you didn't have to wear them. So the only one that wore one was my mom who could not swim. And so everybody else, and so then it was a mad dash to, you know, where do we have these old life jackets? They were those old orange dirty life jackets that were wet and in the bottom of the boat that we never touched, you know. So we're, and then we're pulling those things out and we're realizing, wow, this could be, and we're putting them on and I'm looking at my mom's, which was the best one of the lot and it's sketch. This does not look like a good life jacket. Who knew that you might have to depend your whole life on these things? I mean, you know, there they are. They were just kind of an extra and we're pulling these out and getting them on. And as we're working on the boat and more and more water's coming in and that water level's coming like this and every wave is sort of breaking over the side of the boat. You guys are near Lake Erie. Surely this has happened to somebody, right? So that's happening. And then, so we're coming up with a plan. And so my dad sees, so shore's about a mile away. But when I say shore, shore is just a cliff that's going down into the water. It's not a place where you can get out of the boat really. But we see about a mile away a green strip of land, which out there means, oh, there's some soil where something's growing in. There must be a flatter spot. So we start our engine sputtering. We start heading for that as our boat gets lower and lower in the water and the waves get higher and higher. And we're doing this. And I got to tell you, we are all tuned in. Nobody's sleeping. Nobody's sightseeing anymore. We are tuned in to what's happening right now. My dad, as he's working on the engine, starts giving instructions. Okay, if the boat goes under, it's going to sink fast. And here's the deal. Kevin, you're in charge of your brother, my my youngest brother, Monty. You're in charge of Monty. And then he starts giving out these assignments. Wade, my middle brother, who can swim as well as I could, he said, Wade, you are not to save our dog. The dog is on his own. So, and we didn't have no dog life jackets either. This is the death of our dog. And dad was going to take care of mom and granddad, he's on his own. You know, that's kind of the way it was going to be. And so we start heading there and then we, we finally sputtered in to this little strip of land and we were set to camp and we camped there and we got it running. And then, I don't know, the next day or maybe two days later, we nursed it into the nearest marina, which is probably 50 miles away, who knows. And we got there and everything was okay. I, I'm just saying that because sometimes we hear a story like this and we're just like, yeah, okay, yeah, so they have a storm. What's the big deal? We just came through a storm coming to church. What's the big deal? No, it's a big deal. They are afraid they're going to die. They are tuned in. It's getting dicey on the lake. These men, who, some of these men have been on the lake all their life they're uncovering things. To, if they had life jackets, they're trying to grab them and stick them on. They know this thing is going down. Water's coming over the edges. That's what's happening to them. And then as they're in panic mode trying to pull this off, where's Jesus? And where is Jesus? 
He's on the, like on the back wall of the boat, curled up on a cushion. Boats back then would have one cushion in them, probably didn't even float. You know, one cushion in them that if they had an honored guest or something, that's where that person would sit. Well, Jesus is just laying down there. All this commotion happening, and he's sleeping. Like I say, it's been a really long day, but he's still sleeping. And so they wake Jesus up, and they say, don't you care? Don't you love us? Don't you give a rip? Don't you see what's going on? And they seem to resent Jesus' apparent indifference to their disaster. I mean, I'm sure they're thinking, you can at least help us bail. I mean, what is going on? You're doing nothing. They couldn't beat the storm. And you start realizing in situations like that, that you start kind of figuring out all the options and then you run out and there's no more options. And they're like, okay, this is really bad. This is, we're not gonna make it. This is, we're gonna be swimming for a while until we drown. You know, that's kind of the way it is. And they're out of options and they, they, we, and they yell out, they confront Jesus, don't you even care? And that's, that's what we do, by the way. When things get bad, when life gets really dicey, when things we never planned on happen and we start to panic, we face a crisis, everything's going wrong, God seems to be missing in action. We're wondering, you know, what's happening? Where's God in this? God, how can you allow this to happen? If you loved me, you wouldn't let me go through this, God. That's what we do. And Jesus asks, why are you afraid? It's kind of interesting because you look at this uh, in, in the original language. There's, a, there's a, word, a Greek word for fear, phobos, and that's where we get phobia. But this is a different word. This word is sort of uh, a word that's talking about being cowardly. Which I got to tell you, if I was one of the fishermen on the boat and Jesus is like, why are you, why are you acting so cowardly? It'd be like, ouch. Yeah, I'd be like, man. That would cut me to the... Of course, I probably wouldn't feel all that because I'd just be trying to survive. But, you know, that, I'd be thinking about, what? Wow. And, and, and why are we afraid? They're probably thinking, why are we afraid? Well, we're going to drown. You don't know the lake like I know the lake, Jesus. We're going down. The chances of us swimming to shore, they're about nil. We're going down. It's over. I thought you wouldn't let bad things happen to us, Jesus. But Jesus is teaching them that their premise is wrong. That's what he's saying. You're, you, why, are, why are you being so cowardly? You're thinking wrong. See, Jesus can love someone care for someone. Hey, don't you care, Jesus? Jesus can love us and care for us and still let us go through bad things. That doesn't, we don't like that, but that happens because God is God and he knows better than we do. What we need, what will benefit us, what will make us stronger, what in our life will cause us to impact others for good. He knows all of that. 
And so we never have to panic, because that's what they were doing. We never have to panic. All we have to do is trust God, trust Jesus, trust him. You see, when we fear circumstances, storms in our life, we're, as a Christian, what we're doing is we, when, when we're panicking, when we're fearful, when we're afraid, when we're cowardly, what we're doing is we're questioning God's goodness. God, how could you let this happen, God? We're questioning God's goodness, or we're questioning God's power, or we're questioning God's love for us, or we're doing all those things or any combination of those three things. We're questioning his love, his goodness, and his power when we're panicking, when we're afraid as a believer. We're saying either that he doesn't care or he's not in control, or he's not really tuned in. But as a believer, God has promised that he would be with us no matter what. There, Jesus is in the boat. And, and so you could, well, it'd be different if you had Jesus right there in the boat. Well, wasn't not for them, right? Jesus, five feet away from them, they're panicking. We know that God is with us inside of us through his spirit that God, in a sense, dwells in us through the spirit, could not be closer and promise he will never leave us, never forsake us, never stop loving us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. That's what a believer should know. And so we question his control. We, check, we, we question his love but he's promised to stay with us. He loves us. But that doesn't mean that he will remove us from every difficult situation. He will be with us through any situation. And we all know that difficulties, hardship, can make us stronger, make us more effective, make us closer to God. And so as all this happens and he calms it, he says something that was kind of interesting to me, just a little tidbit, a throw in. He says, it's, Mark says, the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. That sounds redundant, but he's actually talking about two things. He's saying, how did he say it? He's saying, the wind died down, so the wind stops. And it, it's not the wind, it is the sea. And the sea became perfectly calm. Have you ever been on a lake, smooth as glass, where it's reflecting everything? Have you ever skied on a lake like that? You know, very cool. It's that. It went from stormy, choppy, to calm and smooth as glass, a dead calm. That's how it reads in the Greek. And then what, what's weird about this story is there's a shift. The storm had immense power, and it looked like it was going to take their lives, and it was scary. But their fear intensifies after Jesus calms the storm. It actually intensifies, and the fear shifts from the storm to the guy in the back of the boat, Jesus. Because he's just shown 
supernatural power. This is early in Jesus' ministry, and all of a sudden, hey, they were afraid of the storm. But we're going to find out in the next verse that they're even more afraid of the person that's in the boat now. And so most people fear circumstances, but not God. But Christians fear God and not circumstances. And that's the second kind of fear that I want to talk about is the fear of God. I didn't read the last verse of what happened in Mark. The last verse, verse 41, says this. And they, that's the disciples, became very much afraid. They were afraid. Now they're very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, after being saved from the storm, all of a sudden, they feared even more than they had feared. Literally, this part says they feared a great fear. The word is doubled up there. They feared a great fear. It's like they were afraid in the storm, but after the storm was calm, they look at Jesus and they're terrified. Is what Mark's trying to bring out here in the original language. They feared a great fear. And when I say fear of God, I know some are sitting here and they're going, you know, I, I don't really want to talk about this. That's not the way I picture God. Some people are so bold to say, uh, well, that's not my God. My God is not a fearful God. My God's not anybody that you have to be afraid of. Well, you may have the wrong God. Your God may just be a God you made up in your mind. The God in the scripture is awesome to behold. When he shows up, in the Old Testament, in, in the Christophanies, we call them, or even an angel of the Lord, when that showed up, what did people do? They fell flat on their face out of fear and had to be told, fear not. So here, here's what's happening. We, you might not want to hear this, but we need to be reminded of God's almighty, that he is an almighty and righteous judge. And nobody gets away with anything. Justice will prevail in God's universe. And that is a sobering and stabilizing reality, truth for our life. And people avoid this. And people don't like to talk about this. A lot of people, they avoid this because they know, they figured out, hey, there is a right and a wrong. There's all kinds of people out in our world saying there's no right, there's no wrong, nothing matters. But you go kick a baby and everybody gets. That's wrong. It's not wrong for you, but it's okay for me. We all get. No, that's always wrong. There is morality. And, and when people start to figure that out, that there is a right and the wrong, and then they realize that can't come from us because we all have different opinions. Some people think it's okay to sexually abuse children. And some people think that's abhorrent, which it is. And we know it is because God's telling us that. Our morality has to come from outside of ourselves. Somebody greater than us, we want it from our creator and that's exactly what we have in Scripture. But the problem is we avoid this fear of God because people think, well, I, I've figured out there's right and wrong, and then I've also figured out the more I think about it, so therefore sometimes I don't want to think about it, but if I do think about it, I realize that I've done wrong. 
And because I've done wrong, I realized that as far as categories go, wrong, which the Bible calls sin, really should be punished. That's the right and just thing, that wrong is punished. So I don't want to think about this because I figured out there's a right and a wrong, and I figured out that I've done wrong, and I figured out that I don't want to do all the right stuff that the Bible says. I want to live my own life. So now it's very uncomfortable for me to talk about a righteous, almighty, holy judge that will judge me one day. Don't want to think about it. And so people don't think about it. Or other people, here's what they do. And sometimes even Christians do this. They feel all that tension, and so what they do is they punish themselves. They do little things in order to make them feel like I've kind of punished, I'm not going to do this, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to make myself do this. Hopefully you're not sitting in church because you're punishing yourself. You know, hey, I'm going to do whatever to make it up to God. I'll sort of punish myself, and then if I punish myself, God's not going to punish me. It does not work that way. Because our punishments are, to ourselves are nothing compared to the punishment that we owe, which is an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's what all of us deserve because of our failure to do right, because of our sin, because of our wrongdoings. So when we admit right and wrong and realize we've done it, it's hard to face a righteous judge. Hebrews 10.31 says as much. It says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As believers, we should feel some of that tension. But Christians, we feel that tension, but we want to follow God because God, through his son, paid all the punishment for our sin. Past, present, future sin. It's all been dealt with. It's all been punished. Justice is satisfied through what Christ did on the cross and our faith in him. And so if we have faith, then we realize that Jesus paid our price and he has released us and gave us freedom. We are saved. That's not why we use this term. People get saved. We are saved from the correct punishment from our, for our sin. And so we want to follow Jesus out of gratitude and love for, because he loved us first. And so Christians fear God, but not circumstances. And fearing God is not a bad fear, that's a good fear. It's not fear of something dreadful, but fear of something wonderful. The fear of God is. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, we're told do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, over 300 times, don't fear circumstances. Or sometimes when God shows up and he's saying, no, you won't die on the spot. But then we're also told in the same Bible over and over, fear God. And the difference is, is this fear of God, we sometimes describe it as a reverential awe and respect toward God, a healthy Fear of God. And, and it's exactly that. Although in addition to that, I would say it's also understanding that he is a perfect, holy, righteous judge who will bring justice. And so 
Notice, when they feared Jesus, so they fear the storm, right? And Jesus says, why are you so cowardly? Ouch. But then they're terrified of Jesus after he calms the storm like, whoa, what are we dealing with here? Jesus doesn't rebuke that. Jesus doesn't say that's wrong. Jesus is like, yeah, well, okay. You probably ought to think that way because you're not understanding exactly who I am. So all of a sudden, you're understanding God better. You see, this kind of respect and appreciation for God, when we have this, and we all should as a believer, we do not fear circumstances. And so I have an example for you today. It's like this. My name is Brittany Sherman, and I accepted Christ at a young age. I met my husband here through church, and he proposed during the Christmas program in 2007, and we were married here at Grace in 2009. We have five children, three of which are with the Lord, and two girls that we are raising to follow God. In January of 2022, I noticed that I had a lump on my throat and it started to grow in size and become painful. So I decided to get it checked out. I went to countless doctor's appointments and had blood work done and lots of tests uh, just to find out that I had thyroid cancer. I really struggled with the possibility that I could end up dying and leaving my husband and my kids behind and just leaving them with that burden of what would happen if I was gone. A dear friend called me and told me, Brittany, what do you have to fear? If you live, it's for God's glory. And if you die, then you get to be in heaven with God forever. So it's a win-win situation. Surgery was scheduled the following week after I found out that I had cancer and um, I was really thankful for the team of doctors that I had and the wisdom that God gave them and being able to treat my, my cancer. Uh, I woke up later on after surgery and realized that my cancer was a little more aggressive and a rare form than they had anticipated that it had spread to my larynx and my windpipe uh, a lymph node as well was taken out and that I still had some microscopic cancerous forms left and had to get that treated. When I first found out that I had cancer, I wondered why God would have chosen me to get cancer. And I started seeing it not so much as a curse, but as a gift that he had given me. And that became more prominent when I saw it impacting not only my life, but the lives of those around me. And I had people coming up and saying that they were impacted by it, they were really struggling um, with it themselves. And through that, they had started coming to God and talking to Him, reading scripture, and that it strengthened their faith. Suffering exists uh, to bring us closer to God. I can attest to that because I came to know God in a more intimate way. My faith was deepened and I could feel him there walking through that time with me. Genesis 50:20 says, but God meant it for good. 
something so terrible like cancer can actually be meant for good. I know that God's healing isn't meant for everybody and that some people, the side of heaven, will not be healed from cancer. If you're going through something like this right now, know that you can be a blessing by being open and honest in your weaknesses and allowing God to use that for His glory. I count everything as loss for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus is my Lord. Because for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Brittany and uh, Derek are right down there. So. How can we go through something like that, like Brittany did, and then later look at it as a gift? So in this story, the book of Mark, Mark is closely connected with Peter. Mark probably wasn't there. We know Peter was there. And so Mark's writing down what Peter's telling him in his gospel in the first century. A first, uh, it's an eyewitness report, but he's getting it from Peter to write it down in Mark. Do you think years later when they're writing this down that Peter, as he's relaying this story to Mark, do you think Peter is then thinking years later, wow, I wish, I wish we were never in that storm. I was so scared. No, we, we don't think that. We think that Peter's thinking, no, I thank God for that storm because it taught me something about Jesus. It started helping me realize exactly who Jesus is. You see, most in our culture fear circumstances, but not God. But Christians should fear God and not circumstances. And so if you have fear in your life, here's the deal. Christians only fear circumstances when they don't fear God enough. And I know that sounds kind of weird. Okay, you're telling me I go through a bad circumstance, fear God. I'm saying when you're going through a circumstance, don't just remember that God loves you, God died for you. Remember who God is. That he is awesome and mighty in power. That he controls the universe. That nothing can happen without him allowing it to happen. He's not the author of bad things. We've done that when we brought sin into the world through Adam. But, but God rolls with it. And he promises to use all these bad, challenging, negative trials in our life for good, Romans 8, 28. As we are called to his purpose, as we keep our focus on him. So if we believe this good news, that we're all sinners, we, we owe a penalty for our sin. It's the right thing that we be punished. Punishment is worse than we think it would be. It's separation from God forever in hell. But it's worse than we think because our sin is worse than we think. And if Jesus loves us so much that in his justice he has to punish every sin, but in what he does is he sends his one and only son, Jesus, who voluntarily comes to earth, lives a perfect life, and allows his own creation to torture him to death in order to pay for our sins. He loves us like that, with that kind of selfless action. 
And so our punishment is be has been paid, and the way we access that is that we have to do something, but it's not really a do. It's, a, it's faith. It's belief. What do you mean by that? That you have to believe in Jesus, but not just that he existed. Maybe the better word is trust. We have to place our trust in Jesus and him alone for our salvation, realizing that we cannot do good things to, to weigh out our bad. We cannot punish ourselves to get rid of our punishment. No, we owe this to God. The good things we do, we're supposed to do. That doesn't give us extra credit. We have one way to be saved. What's that mean? Saved from the punishment that we deserve, and that's by placing our trust in Christ alone for our salvation. And that's the most important decision that any of us can make in this life. The most important decision. And no doubt there are some in this room that have not made that decision. And, and maybe it's fear that you'll lose control of your life. Or maybe it's fear that you won't be as comfortable then as you... And, and I'm, for the rest of us, the 90% of us or whatever who have become Christians, we would say, do not worry about that. That's nothing. Nothing. You don't know what life is until you place your trust in Christ. But when you place your trust in Christ, we live a completely different life. We are not tossed by the whims of evil people. We are not tossed by what happens in nature. We are not tossed around by the circumstances in our life anymore. We have our trust in Jesus. He is our mountain. He is our rock. We don't fear any man. Because of what Jesus has done for us. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-control. That's us as believers. We've, we don't have a spirit of fear anymore, but a spirit of love, power, self-control, self-discipline. If, if God is great enough and powerful enough for any of us, Christian or non-Christian, if God is great enough and powerful enough for us to be mad at when we're going through things that we don't like, then he is also great enough and powerful enough to have reasons for that that we don't get because he's so far beyond us. Fear of circumstances, fear of situations, fear of the future. It's all inconsistent with the Christian life. It's not the way God intends for us to live. Psalm 56, 11 says, In God I have put my trust. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? He writes. What do we have to fear? He's the God of the universe. So Christians don't just believe in God, but believe God, what he's telling us, and live fearlessly and boldly for him and have joy. It's a whole, it's a whole different life. It's a new life, a fresh life. Live like that. 
And if you're not a believer, it's time for you to make that most important decision that you would turn to God, that you would admit your sin. And in admitting your sin, you'd realize that you can't do anything about that. Your sin is sort of out of your control. You owe God for past sins, and you'll sin in the future. But God knows you perfectly, knows everything about you, every detail of your life. And God loves you. And he not only loves you with emotion, he loves you with action. And Jesus, as God, came to this earth to die, to pay the punishment for your sin so you don't have to, but you have to respond in faith. You have to trust. All your trust for your salvation has to be in Jesus. So if you've not done that, I'm going to lead you in a a quick prayer before we do our our closing song uh, just to give you... just just to give you that opportunity. If you've never trusted Christ, you communicate something, this new trust, put your trust in him and communicate it to God in some way, something like this. You can do it silently. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong against you, but God, I understand that even though I deserve punishment, that you love me and you allowed Jesus to come and voluntarily take my punishment on him. He did that for me. And God, right now, I'm, I'm placing all my trust for salvation to be right with God. All that is all on Jesus. I have nothing to offer. It's all on Jesus. My trust is in him alone. And God, I'm asking you to come into my life and to help me to live it in a way that pleases you. Thank you. Thank you, God.